0: Welcome to today's edition of Take a Leap and Transform, a Neo Diversity Journey podcast, where entrepreneurs, employees, business owners, and individuals can become aware and transform their mindset. Welcome back to Take a Leap and Transform, a Neo Diversity Journey. I'm your host, Joseph K. Muscat. Are you ready to take a leap with me? This is part one of my interview of Let's Talk Recruitment with Fran Mosa. We had such a great conversation. it ended up going longer than it had been planned and expected. So look forward to part two of this interview on Friday as we go more in depth with a lot of information. Till then, enjoy part one. Navigating our way through the job market can be challenging and even ominous to deal with. In some cases candidates can be placed easily and in others candidates have gone through one rejection after another with no hope in sight. This can be very well be the case for neo-divergent talent, despite their education or experience. To talk about the current job market and to give some helpful insight, I'm joined by Fran Mosa. Fran Mosa is the founder of FM Search, a boutique recruitment, headhunting, and talent advisory firm with over 12 years experience in headhunting in London and Malta, Fran has successfully assisted international businesses, ranging from startups to listed companies, with the recruitment and retention of employees in highly competitive markets. Outside work, Fran enjoys spending time with her family, participating in various volunteer and charity initiatives, and writing. Welcome, Fran.
1: Joseph, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm uh, very excited and honored to to join you today. And thank you for the very kind introduction. Hopefully, we'll have a a fruitful discussion that your listeners will find find useful.
0: Well, we're absolutely excited to have you here and to get into understanding the job market as well as recruitment. I want to start with a little bit more about how you got started in recruitment. And some of the clients you work with.
1: Well, um, I started in recruitment, probably like a lot of headhunters and recruiters do, by by accident. So I was uh, I was working in London, and uh, at the time, the firm that I was working with, um, they were going through the recruitment process. I started to assist a little bit. Um, the owner had to go abroad. For a period of time, he said, Fran, you know, this is the recruitment you need to deal with, you know, update me when I'm back, and the rest is history as as they say. Um, So I've been within within recruitment for well actually more than 12 years but I like to say just over 12 years so you know don't sound too old. and I've worked I've worked with, uh, within different industries. I've worked within the real estate industry, I work within the healthcare industry. But for the past 10 years or so, I focused exclusively on the professional services industry. So my clients tend to be quite varied, you know, financial services, regulated firms, iGaming, uh, FinTech, now digital assets, um, with the with the way that the market is developing. I work with pharmaceuticals, small firms, family firms. Um large firms listed firms so quite a a broad spectrum um i've covered so you know all markets are are different in in some respect in in the terms of the dynamics and skills and recruitment processes but the the common denominator is you know people at the end of the day um within within those businesses and you know the the let's say the predisposition and or inclination towards particular types of sectors, jobs and types of businesses as well. Made a made lot of, uh, you know, mistakes in my career that I've learned from, you know, learned from people around me. So recruitment in general is quite a, an ever evolving subject because as people we change, uh, we learn from our mistakes and we adapt to, to circumstances. well
0: Well, you've had a very tremendous career in recruitment and you've worked with a wide variety of industries from large to small so you have a very wealth of knowledge and experience and with that wealth and knowledge let's go into as we all know we have seen tremendous change in the employment in the last four years when we look at the job market prior to the pandemic and to today how have things changed from within companies to candidates? I
1: think that's a very pertinent observation. Um, the market, in my opinion, was changing even before the pandemic. But what happened during the pandemic is that it brought it into the open and into the mainstream. And what do I mean by that? So if we talk about the economic cycle, we have the boom periods and we have the downturn periods. Um, now, during boom periods, usually it is an employee driven market market, which means that there are more people, uh, sorry, there are more jobs than uh, skilled individuals to take on those jobs. So it's very intense competition between businesses for talent. And during those times, what you see is an uplift in employer propositions. Now, whether that takes form of salary or perks or very fast promotions, it it really depends on, on the strategy and the resources that each firm has. And during downturn period, you have the reverse, you have less jobs, but more people looking for work. And then the reverse happened, the perks start to come down, okay, the um, the benefits start to come down, you know, a lot of the times for economic reasons. But this sort of shift, you know, and, and balance, um, it, it really dictates the dynamics of how the market looks like for employees then and what tends to happen is that you know when we have a wealth of opportunities we become more selective now that happens whether you're a business or an employee looking but it's important how you become selective about those so there will always be the case that when making these these selections we, you know, perhaps don't treat people or businesses in the right way, and vice versa. Um, and when the reverse happens, it's it happens a bit like, well, now it's payback time, you know. Remember when I was looking for a job and you didn't even reply to me? Well, now it's my turn, and vice versa, which is um which is the wrong way to go about it, but nevertheless, a reality of, of the day. So, what happened during the, the pandemic is we had the combination of the two okay which never happened before so there were firms that were flourishing and needed skilled individuals and they had more openings than people in the market but then there were firms that were highly affected and it was the reverse okay they had to reduce the headcount. but one common factor um that that transpired is that we had more time to think okay so when you're at when you're going to the office every day seeing your colleagues, you have a chat around, you know, cup of tea, coffee, or, you know, whatever, fan- or whatever you fancy. You don't have that much time to think, okay, because you do, you're in that motion, you go to work, you, you do your work, you come home. Now, when you're at home, you know, the, the dynamic is different. The environment is different. So, you can start hearing your thoughts again, and you see the job for the job, okay because you no longer have the distractions around you no longer have your colleagues that make you laugh you no longer have your colleagues that can make your day easier well or harder depending on the situation the point is you see the job for what it is in its entirety okay so with that we saw the great resignation didn't we you know for um uh, whether it was because people were finding you know companies that aligned more with what they found a value or individuals taking the plunge into consultancy setting up their own business you know building up their client book so the the main difference in my opinion from what i have observed in the market not only in malta but abroad as well is that you know during the pandemic people evaluated a lot more closely the value that their jobs have for them, and I don't mean just monetary value, satisfaction, quality of the work, how much you actually enjoy the work that you're doing as well. Does does that make sense?
0: It makes complete sense, and it's, it's interesting in the it's interesting in two aspects. The first aspect is you, prior to the pandemic, there was a start for the shift, and I think, argumentally, that shift started to come with the millennials. And the, and the Zoomers, uh, you, you you started to hear a lot of gripe from employers about not understanding this new generation. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the, the new generation was seeing how their parents have worked and even how their grandparents have worked and said, this is not for me. There has to be a better way for having a better work environment. Hence why there were not, I think there was a myth of they didn't want to work. I think it was more of. I want to have the better conditions to work in and having if you're going to have higher expectations and I'm also going to have higher expectations for what's for what I want for the lifestyle that I want to have in work and outside of work I think the second aspect is definitely it's interesting you said that during the pandemic or even after the pandemic you saw a combination of both Um, that's interesting I think it depends on the sector to be perfectly honest you know, it definitely depends. because, for example, I, I just just yesterday or the day before, actually, I just finished doing a a training for managers in the UK. And you have two or three of the managers in there who are in desperate need in the engineering factor uh, industry or in uh, the manufacturing aspect, where they're in desperate need. There's 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 not enough talent. They're trying to recruit talent. So I think again, it depends on the industry where both of those things are happening. I think the other aspect is definitely a lot of people did a valuation, and uh, I like the comment you did. Uh, you stated that seeing the job for the job, and again, this is where you kind of gets. It's a question for later, but if I recall correctly, but where you have this quiet quitting, and going back to what was even happening prior to the, to the pandemic, where it is if this is how if this is what the job is and this is how i'm going to be treated then i expect more and if i'm not going to get more and i'm not going to be treated appropriately then i'm going to leave to go to an other job Another tribe that would treat me and meet my needs and standards.
1: There's there's a lot to to unpack there. I um, will start with the easiest part in terms, like you said, you know, it very much depends on the sector, and it is true, uh, you know, some certain areas of expertise and sectors have been more affected than others. But at the same time, with a caveat, is that you know we are in a globalized economy, so. Uh, you know, whereas the domino effect has not been as uh, strong as we would have as as we have seen in the financial crisis during 2008, um, we are starting though now to see some effects uh, again, not to the extent of the 2008-2009 uh, nightmare. I think that's the appropriate term for for what happened then. Uh, But it is nevertheless a ripple effect. And I think it's very important that we recognize um, this. Um, I am a very big um, advocate, if you will, for a better word of pragmatism and reality. And it's very important that we balance, um, you know, internal dialogue with external realities Um, like so we can make better decisions and we can be more realistic into with regards to our expectations then coming to to your second point you know seeing the job for what it is you know that's where your internal dialogue is very important are you in the right career are you fit for that career are your skills sufficient for that career I mean, these are very hard questions to ask because a lot of the times We tend to focus on the external. So what's happening to me? Okay. Um, And it's very important that we balance that with the value that we put in as well. Okay. Otherwise, we're going to go in loops. Like you said, we're going to go from one business to the other, or a business is going to go from one employee to the other. It's, it's valid both ways. Okay. So it's important that, that critical evaluation exists. And I cannot stress this enough. It's it's very important that one takes stock of what it is and the situation as it is and the value that it's, it generates. Um, because it takes, it takes two to tango at the end of the day not just one um with regards to you know quite quitting like i said we're going to get into that later you know but um yes like, like you said um if something doesn't work it's important to understand why it doesn't work whether you're a business or an employee see what your part is in the not working bit um take steps to see if that can be rectified and then make a decision. Now, if that decision leads with you leaving or the business finding someone else, that's absolutely fine. But I think it's important to go through that process because it will help you not make the same mistakes, but it will also create the opportunity for dialogue between parties.
0: That's very, very sound advice and a very good perspective. I agree with you in regards to what is the reality of the situation. Um, and definitely the the internal dialogue. I mean, yes, if if you're not going to if a company is not going to necessarily meet your standards, then you also have to be realis- realistic about what your standards are, and try to find a midpoint. Um, otherwise, again, through that self evaluation, if that midpoint can't be found, then you have to look elsewhere. And this definitely brings up into the next question. Uh, but before I get to that, you know, I'm seeing from from the conversations that I'm having with, with clients and with people that I'm coaching is that a lot of people are leaving with no prospects because of not necessarily either A, because of the standards or B, which is more of the cases of how they're treated at work. So when we look back at the market, there has always been these these kinds of issues and they may have been ignored or not dealt with and but since the pandemic a vast light has been shined onto these particular problems you know and it's kind of funny where mental health was not always looked upon in a in a
1: professional setting in a
0: professional setting but since the pandemic it has been Um, But still, there's still these concerns. And going back, I'm seeing a lot of people leaving because of how they're being treated at work with a boss mentality rather than a leadership mentality. So what have you been seeing as being the problematic with with recruitment practices in this regards?
1: You are right. I mean, I I think even uh, the other day I saw an article online, you know, um, that individuals, you know, quit without having necessarily another job aligned. I mean, this can be a combination of factors, but I I would say that the primary factor of that is that having the comfort of knowing that jobs are out there as well. Again, I, I don't believe it's wise to ignore realities and we are in a candidate-driven market. But if it was, you know, if we were to turn back the clock to 2008, that wouldn't have happened, okay? Because it would be unwise to do so. So there is a combination of things that factors, never in isolation. Um, Now, why are people doing that? Um, I think a lot of the time, more often than not is for very very valid reasons now those reasons can be the environment that does not work with the individual's personality and how they want to work um it and at other times it could be the job in itself i've seen a lot of people going through career changes shifts some more dramatic than others when i say more dramatic you know a complete you know change of you know um job in you know someone is, a, is an economist and they're becoming an artist for example okay so complete shifts or you know smaller changes you know perhaps sticking with the same example from an economist you're going to a uh, you know perhaps um, uh, let's say business advisor you know so still within the same sphere but you know different dynamics. So, when you mentioned the, the boss mentality and everything, again, th- th- this is a matter of perspective as well. Some people work very well with that sort of environment. Others don't, you know. So, again, this becomes a matter of perspective and what works for you and what doesn't, okay? Now, it can we do things better? Yes. Can we improve them? Yes. But sometimes and i've seen this it's not a style you know that works for me but it's a style that can work for some people like you know again i, I revert to your example you know listen you have to do this 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 is that and the other and that's it some people work very well like that you know i don't think it's a very high number but they you know they're part of the equation as well so again it's about the internal dialogue what works for you and what doesn't and when it comes to, to recruitment practices, it's very important that, you know, these sorts of things are taken into consideration during the recruitment process or pre-onboarding. So the way that we conduct interviews is very important, but also the way that candidates approach interviews is very important. Okay. It's... um. We have moved along with a lot of things, like you said, being more open about mental health, being more open about what adds value, what adds value to people within the workplace and vice versa. We haven't changed the way we're interviewing very much. Unfortunately, and until we look at that, we're going to have the same discussion in three years time. Again, you know, so. For me, interviews are an opportunity to discover the person next to you. I think if, if you know, everyone would approach interviews with a curiosity mindset, it would change a lot, the dynamics, you know, see the person behind the desk, as it were, you know, now whether they are actually behind the desk or not, it doesn't matter, but you see, you see where I'm going with this and look to understand their motivations and, and you know, have an honest discussion about it. Because lack of honesty exists on both sides. On, even on a set, because Again, in my experience, I, I've, I'm yet to see people that, you know, conduct interviews, outright lying, you know, it is, you know, how they perceive the situation. But, you know, presenting pros and mine pros and cons, you know, and, you know, understanding your limitations is very important and this goes for both parties because as companies may say yeah yeah yeah," you know we're going to train you we're going to do this that and the other you go in there and it's not like that but the reverse exists as well Where can say yes i'm very good with this yes i understand this i can do that i can do the other when you actually go and do it you don't know how to do it or you don't know how to do it very well so this um gap exists on both sides and Again, it is important that we look within ourselves and we understand the contribution we're having to that. We can't expect the other person, now whether the other person is the business, the interviewer, or the candidate, for them to do all the extra mileage, and we just sit there waiting. And that goes on, you know, both sides. I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, you have,
0: uh, but it's opened up um a can of worms. <laughs> a can of worms. It's, it's definitely opened yeah. up a can of worms. Definitely coming from. A neurodiversity perspective, and even, and even just just the whole concept of of recruitment in general. Um, I mean, first off, let's tackle here. You mentioned does the boss environment? You know, some people work well in that. Yes, I I, I would concede that there is a percentage that work well with that. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, based on the latest Gallup Read study in regards to employee engagement. Uh, which just came out last year and they do it every 2 to 3 years around the world about measuring engagement it's only up at 19% and the and it's only it's actually gone up in consideration um, to the previous study but the numbers are greater in in north america where they've made a lot of changes than than it is in europe according to the study now the the overall effect in that regard though is that the boss mentality is not the favorable factor when it comes to work environments it yes, is yes. proper leadership proper communication and motivation in the workplace that is had that is pushing the the level for better work environments so it so if you have a boss and a leader it's the leader that has it excels. It's the leader that has high turnover, sorry, uh, less turnover, less and, greater turnover pro- yes. and, and, and greater productivity. And it's the boss that has less productivity and more turnover.
1: Yep. Yep. Absolutely.
0: So now you mentioned our previous con- part of the conversation about doing the self-evaluation. Do you have the skills? Do you have the job? Uh, is this? Can you work in that environment? I think that is a valid point. And what I would say is. I think a lot of individuals, but in particular in this conversation, neo talent has the, has the skills, but they're not being recognized for the skills. They're, they're being more recognized for their challenges. And it's an issue of whether the employer or the manager has the skill set to engage properly, be a leader rather than be a boss. Are, are, you treating your, are they treating their employees as people and thinking about the user experience or they treat them as, as commodities, whether you know, they use and throw out the next day. Um, and then the interview section, that's where the can of worms really comes into play. There's a number of factors there. I mean, let's start off with the job adverts. The job advert, if it's not written properly, and a lot of job adverts are not written properly, where they don't focus on the essential skills, where they're using lingo that has double meaning or the, doesn't relate to the job or they're adding a lot of fluff that interferes with the job you know like team player communication skills leadership skills natural learner I mean these words you know don't it depends on the situation you know you may have someone a natural learner you know, and that's a that's an interesting one because. You may learn something in 30 days, but I may learn something in 60 days. Now, 60 days for me is natural for me. You know, so does that mean I'm not I'm not a natural learner by your standards? And communication, I communicate differently, but I'm I'm I can communicate. So what does communication skills mean? You know, and so when it comes but to, to the so one, the job advert. If it's not written in clean, simple, precise language and you're very clear about what you're looking for, that's the other thing too. I think a lot of job adverts have more wants than what there is the actual skill set for what the job is. Mm-hmm. A lot of talents may look at it and not apply, saying, even though they check the boxes for what they're looking for based on the job advert, they're going to say this is the, the job for me. So that brings in the question: are you getting people who who come to the interview or you're calling up people who come to the interview who are basically confident or versus someone who didn't feel confident applying to, be, to begin with. And then when you take a look at the job interview, there's a lot of things there. I mean, is it a structured job interview? Is it Are, you, are they asking just surface questions or are they asking in-depth questions? Is there conscious and unconscious biases in play? In play? Is there confirmation bias in play? Are they looking for cultural fits or are they thinking about cultural ad? Cultural ad. Have you heard of the term cultural ad? No. Cultural ad is a is a counter to 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 cultural fits. It's it's uh, basically you're looking outside of the type of usual person that you would hire. Yes, do they meet your values? Yes, uh, would they would they potentially be a good fit for the company? Yes, can they do the do the job? But at the same time, they're adding a different perspective, a different uh, mindset that's outside of what you would usually hire so you're usually hire prototype a and you're looking for potentially someone who's prototype b someone who would challenge and question you but still do the job are are they looking for that in the interview and and then the other aspect is are are they just basing their their judgment on the conversation or on the cv Or are they actually testing the people to see if they actually can do the skills that are required for the job? And that's Mm -hmm. the other aspect. Are they asking questions that's based on the essentials of that job? And that's where the the challenge, I think, you know, in those kind of worms as well about the job, the the interview process where it needs to be perfected. Hey, listeners, I want to share with you not one, but two workshops that I've put together to bring awareness and to up-level the skills of employers and managers in human resources. The first workshop aids in building more inclusive environments in the workplace for neo-divergent talent and in developing the skills of management to be more engaging with their teams. I geared the second workshop towards examining and providing practical solutions and how to be more inclusive to neo-divergent talent in the recruitment process reach out to me on my website to learn more about this amazing program. Um,
1: again, a lot, a lot to unpack. So um, I'll, I'll start with, with with the study that you've mentioned, you know, and and I, and I agree with you. Like I said, you know, for the boss mentality works for a very small number of people. I can't say, you know, a large number. Um, and definitely leading with empathy and with the desire to to work together. I think this, this is what it's it boils down to is that we work together towards a common goal and it's important that that goal is aligned Then those companies absolutely do better um but again not always the case again there are many factors at play okay here um so it's important again i'm i'm As you can see probably i'm a very big fan of balance and putting things into balance there is never you know one thing will change everything There's all small little things that contribute towards creating a better environment and process so if we're talking about then the recruitment process starting with job advertising for example so there is there are two elements to it um one of them is important to make the distinction and and you know this comes from me as a headhunter, because as a headhunter, the job is very different to that of an HR. A lot of people confuse it, but they are essentially very, very different. Um, So a job advertisement to attract people, you know, to grab their attention, okay, to look at it. You're not gonna grab people's attention by putting 12 bullet points, is it? (laughs) Um, And you're not going to attract people's attention by only talking about you, okay? So we want, I want, I need, you know? So it's important with job adverts as much as possible, you know, to give a bit of a flavor of, of what they would gain out of it. How would they make their life better? How would it improve their either professional situation or personal situation, depending on, you know, the type of jobs that you are recruiting for. So it's important um, that you know job adverts in order to attract talent actually are written to attract talent rather than to tell talent what you want. So that's number one. Then how job adverts are written, and this is a very, very interesting point, and there is a very big learning curve to be had here. Um one uh one of the the, the the mentors that i use for um <clears throat> for copywriting and training you know they shared a uh, a program where you upload your job adverts to see whether they are they use either more masculine or feminine language and i found that incredibly interesting it's not something that i've even ever considered in my mind uh, but i was pleasantly surprised that most of my adverts were neutral um so that that was a good thing But then, you know, when I was describing, for example, when when we used words like competitive, it was more male-dominated. And I think that's wrong. It's, It's not like women cannot be competitive, you know um or or depending on you know what type of gender you identify of as it it doesn't mean that you know those words are exclusively reserved for you know the other side and i found that really interesting and i think there's a lot of education to be had there but there is also a lot of education that we need to do ourselves and say okay they use that language and a lot of the times people don't even realize that by using that language you know it it, is not inclusive so i think it's important that you know we we adopt the discussion or the application with the view of again critical thinking am i right for the job okay then let's talk with them and see what they're about because a lot of the time when you were talking about unconscious bias of course it exists even conscious bias, unconscious bias you know of course it exists absolutely absolutely we we as humans we form thinking patterns based on our experience and interactions. The more that we are exposed to a certain category of people and events, the stronger our bias is, okay? Because this is how we learn. We learn by repetitive behavior and by recognizing situations that we have been in before. So when something different to what we have been used to comes along, the first reaction, is defensive okay this goes back to 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 our dna okay that you know something that has happened oh no we're going to die we need to protect ourselves from this that has still stayed and a very interesting fact i'm going to share this you know just to make the conversation a bit lighter you know hiccups okay we hiccup drink some water, try to scare ourselves to make them stop. And uh, I saw a video the other day saying that if you tell this, app- apparently is a leftover evolutionary trait. And apparently, um, if you tell your brain, I'm not a fish, you stop hiccup- hiccuping. I've tried it, bloody works. Now, I don't know whether that was because I actually believe it was some placebo effect or anything like that, but it worked. So what I'm getting with that is that we have certain habits that we have developed And, um, you know, as long as we work together to recognize those habits and welcome each other's opinion without judgment, we are going to be in a much better place because we have developed as a society the tendency to judge very quickly, very rapidly. And we have lost the art of debate and discussion. And that is such a shame such a shame we have to be able to challenge to discuss without with with the idea to learn like we used to rather than point fingers you know this this cancel culture for example you know and calling people out on social media i mean it's really something that i do not agree with at all at all i think it's very it's very it's more destructive than it is constructive
0: Absolutely, that last point I totally agree with. Um, to a certain extent, there needs to be a degree where you have to have that discussion and call people out. but you have to call them up for the right reasons rather than that's I think that's more of the cancer culture is more of um it, it kind of relates to more of a confirmation bias as a in the sense of that it's this is what I believe in, so I'm right, you're wrong. and and yes, yeah, 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 should yeah. be canceled
1: yes Mm. yes 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 exactly exactly there's a a certain way of doing things that is more constructive rather than destructive I'm not saying not to have discussions Mm. not to tell people when something is bothering you I mean of course not but it's how we approach that you know and this is something that everyone can work with and when it comes to interviews like you were saying you know how how those are conducted and um I want to pick up on a particular point you've made with regards to neurodiversity. And like you said, you know, in in general, they're very well, we are very well aware of the skills we have and the ones we don't, and we're very honest and upfront about it. And this is where the problem happens in interview. You know, people want to hear what they would like to hear. So when someone honest comes across and tells you, look, I'm good at this, but I'm not good at that instead of focusing on the good (laughs) and the skill set, like you said, you're focusing on, oh, but they said they're not good at that. And the other person said they're good at all of this. How realistic is that assessment? Let's be honest, yeah. So here is a question for interviewers and businesses. Embrace honesty and and differences, especially when they are presented real because when you know you can work with it's what you don't know that is hard to work with
0: i agree with you 100 on that the the aspect in that regard though is that there's just a complete and utter lack of training and understanding and empathy so i'll give you an example i was coaching someone um who's been having a hard time finding work and one of the things I do coach is that you need to, you need to become an advocate for yourself and you need to be upfront and honest. And yes, there might be consequences to this, but this comes down to an issue of whether or not the workplace is safe, which happens to be ironically the next question. But before we get into that, she disclosed to whether well, they're looking for English only for the um, for, um, call center. And she disclosed upfront that she's dyslexic. And the recruiter said, "Oh, what's that? I've never had anybody tell me that before yeah. and then and then she as she's processing and saying it, she goes, Oh, you mean like reading difficulties you know you know and and of course, she replies, Well, reading difficulties that's a, at the tip of the iceberg, but there's various levels of dyslexia. you know I'm not at that level i'm I'm at a, I'm at a completely different other level she said, and she said, Okay, well, you know." I wouldn't worry about it because this would be more speaking than reading and there's, there's less reading. So, so it, w- it shouldn't be an issue. And right there, you know, just from that opening commented, is that one, again, there's a lack of training. There's a lack of understanding. At that point, the, the interviewer should have said, okay, well, what is dyslexia and how does it affect you? And that kind of conversation never came out. It puts neurodiverse talent in a very particular place, where, is this the type of environment that I want to work for? Or is it a safe place for me to work mm-hmm. for? Mm-hmm. Is it safe mm-hmm. for me to disclose?
1: Very, very interesting example, indeed. Very, very, very interesting, I must say. I mean, first of all, you know, in the example that you gave, you know, f- absolute full admiration for for the upfrontness and, and honesty um, of that uh, I'm trying to I was trying to think whether I had anyone you know disclosing something similar to me throughout my career. I can't think um, on at least on the top of my head. Anything to that? And you know, yes, we we have to become more educated, definitely. Um, And it's, you know, that training is lacking. You are right, definitely. And this is something that we need, you know, to talk more about, but we need to talk about, like I said, like you said, I I really love the way you said, you know, in a safe space, you know, so that recruiter didn't know. Was the, the person's reaction the one that the person expected from what you're telling me? No, you know, does that make them a bad person? not necessarily and definitely not in the context that you gave me so then it's also you know if one makes that disclosure say look tell me about the job and i will tell you that whether in the context of the job you know, if I am comfortable and let's have an open discussion. So, again, I think if we lead with that empathy, like you said, and with that safety mindset, we can have better conversations, definitely. And we learn more where we're when we are in a safe environment than when we're put on the spot, admonished. It's the same with children, okay? So, with my daughter, when she does something wrong and I go to her, you know, Susie, shouldn't have done this, shouldn't have said that or whatever, she will block, you know, and and she's not going to learn from it. But if we work through it together, there are, you know, better chances for it. It's not easy. Again, this is actually really hard to do. It requires a lot of patience and it requires you leaving your ego aside and embracing the other person and leaving the ego aside It is, you know, the human task at the end of the day, right? Um, Philosophers and and religious people. And, you know, we we try to to break this down for centuries and we haven't managed. And we will be a long time until we manage, if we ever do. But the closer we get to it, the better our lives can become. Like you said, the safer our environments can become.
0: In that regard, then, how can recruiters whether internal or external, and how can employers during the recruitment process create safe environments where a candidate can be their true selves and embrace themselves and the recruiters and hiring managers can have empathy?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I think the easiest step would be to have conversations like we're having now, you know, talk about it see what individuals are struggling with, see what companies are struggling with. This is what happened with mental health in the workplace to make a well-known parallel. The more people talked about it, the less taboo it became, and the more awareness was created. So this is exactly the same. So the more we talk about it in an honest way with the intent to learn, the easier this will become. So when this conversation becomes easier and we have a more of a general awareness about it, that's when the building blocks start to happen. So again, using the the parallel of mental health, a lot of companies started to provide mental health programmes and training, whether that was in the form of therapy support or having their managers trained to recognise mental health challenges or discussions within the workplace so the same goes for neurodiversity you know once we become more aware about we can start putting the building blocks training programs um definitely this requires professional help you you are not going to get this program from someone like myself i'm not a trained professional in such subject so my contribution as a recruiter is in you know creating like you said the safe space pace, talking about it, welcoming, you know, everyone and and having this honest conversation. And then when it comes to companies, is if you have the external professional help, you can start looking at your recruitment practices, at your advertising practices, like you've mentioned, at your interviewing practices and at the environment within the workplace as well so it is a process and as long as there's willingness and openness towards it you know we can start together building building these these blocks you know and now that i think about it you know as a recruiter what can us recruiters do so you know when when i correspond with individuals you know initially a lot of the times is via email okay and I do I'm always actually thinking about I do get emails you know that are perhaps not written in what would expect to be the norm whatever that is but when I say the norm I usually refer you know to structure sentence and syntax I you know I always pick up the phone and have a conversation with the person you know and we discuss and everything you know and I'm you know if if it's for a job where writing is particularly important, you know, that it has to be, you know, particularly important, maybe it's because, because of presentations, board meetings, you know, uh, whatever it may be, I discuss with them. So, you know, this job involves the rights of writing. I've noticed this. Can you walk me through it? You know, let's talk together and things like that. So things like this do, do, do help. Um, I I had um situations you know when when people blocked you know now whether that is due to neurodiversity or nerves or anything it, it, it does it really matter you know they block so you know create that environment and say look do you need a minute you want us to go back you know let's unpack you know and then help them you know with you i mean yeah it happens to me a, a, a lot of the times you know that i lose my train of thought you know it happens a lot more often than i would i would care to admit on a podcast you know but it's true it is very true you know or or people who who are stuttering you know just just be patient you know offer them a glass of water and you know, i say look do, do you need five minutes Do you want me to walk out give you five minutes with yourself i mean what, what how do you want us to you know how can we make you you know feel, feel a bit better these are manners,
0: though, as well, aren't they? Yeah, they are, they and, are. And you've hinted on a, a couple of things there, in relationships to, to recruitment and neodiversity. You know, the, the first aspect is there's more than one way to ask a question. And are you, if someone's having difficulty with the question, there's another way to rephrase it. The The other aspect, you know, you, you mentioned the, the stuttering aspect. You know, in, in this regards, it comes down to not in relation to restarting, but in relation to, to the point I'm making, is that people need time to process the information. And this is where working memory comes into play, where uh, processing speed comes into play, which all relates to the cognitive function and executive function. Um, so, because someone hasn't answered it, then they may not necessarily they're having difficulty with the question, but they need time to receive the question. They need time to be able to process the question, and then they need time to be able to respond to the question. So that requires recruiters to to have that understanding and to give that space.
1: Yes, 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 to process. But that goes, I, you know, that goes for everyone, whether, you know, is, is, is within, you know, neurodiverse talent or neurotypical talent. So for example, in my process, the first conversation I have, we have a general discussion, okay? Then I follow up with the respective information about the client, the job and everything. Then we have another discussion. I mean, I I have at least two or three discussions with individuals on one job before they even go, you know, to meet the client. If they decide to to even get to that stage, because sometimes it might not be the case. I think, look, thank you for everything. You know, I don't think this is right for me. And that's fine you know give people time to process you know and this is goals, whether you're dealing you know with neurodiverse or neurotypical talent give them the time to process I always tell them I say look I don't like to put people on the spot so if we debrief on this tomorrow would that be okay or do you need more time some people will tell me Fran it's actually okay even tonight because I will have the time to go through great others tell me Fran can you give me actually two or three days not a problem. You tell me what works for you and we work together. If there is a time crunch and I'm making here, you know, a parallel, you have to say, say, look, that's fine, but I'm looking to, you know, the, the deadline on this is this one, just so you are aware, you know, to so make people aware because sometimes you may not be in a position to give them that time and that's fine, but make them aware so then maybe you can find the common ground. And if there isn't a common ground, then we can all move on. It's 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 again, it's fine. It doesn't need to go one way or or the other.
0: We've been talking a lot about people and and the user experience. Cause at the end of the day, it does come down to to people and how they experience and navigate the job market or career working with a recruiter. So in in that concept of people and their, their experience. This leads us into how employers and employees are seeing their relationship. In um, particular, now it's become even more prevalent since, since the pandemic and the great resignation. Uh, so on one hand, we have employers' point of view that this is a contractual relationship, which in certain extent it is. On the other hand, we have the viewpoint where from the other side of the employees who we are recognizing that they want more than just a contract and, and being treated fairly. So my question is, how can candidates negotiate to be treated fairly that creates a safe environment in their favor?
1: How can candidates negotiate fairly? Hmm. If we have to negotiate on common basing points, that's not a good start, is it? If we have to negotiate on, (sighs) I'm sick. I can't come in, and you need to send a photo of your bowels hanging out. I'm, I'm exaggerating here to prove a point. That's not good. Okay. So there are certain characteristics that have to exist regardless. The first one is respect respect in all its forms, in the way that we communicate with each other, in time, and you know how we present things then there has to be a safe space like you said now a safe space also means a physical safe space and a mental safe space a physical safe space you know in terms of the ambience around you I mean you know in certain jobs you can't I don't know do your job with music blasting in the background because you know it will it will affect your focus so depends on what that means and then mental health safe space that means you know to be able to address an issue when you're having it now whether a lot of people make the mistake to think I have to be able to address my personal issues that's one side of the coin you also have to be able to address professional issues as well such as I'll give you an example I am not good with this I've tried my best I don't get it can you help me? If you can't express that because you are afraid you're going to lose your job or I don't know what have you, you know, there's already a question mark there. Okay. And then vice versa on the employers, you know, is to be aware of these things because every boss has its boss. Okay. Now, with that in mind, think how you would want to be treated. Again, goes to empathy. in in their place and ultimately if nothing else understand that by doing these things your profits will increase if nothing else okay if we remove empathy good relationships you know um, having you know uh, An atmosphere where you feel valued, if those things don't matter, at least if only the bottom lines matter, because you mentioned contracts, so if only the bottom lines matter, then understand that that will affect your bottom line. Okay, if we have to be very separatist in our thinking. Um, So... When employees, then how they can negotiate again on basic things, I think, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, they have to be there. And it's important to evaluate there. So rather than negotiate on things, I think it's important to have a, an open conversations about expectations, because we all have different expectations. Okay. And I will give you an example. The most common one we found nowadays is flexibility. And I actually posted something on LinkedIn this morning about it. Everyone talks about flexibility. Now, flexibility means different things for different people. Okay. What's flexible for me may not be for you, and vice versa. Okay. So it's important that, you know, when we talk about, uh, you know, what's important for us, we define what that looks like. We can't just put a blanket play, you know, and say, you know, I want flexibility. What do you mean? How does flexibility look like for you? You know, because for some people, you know, I have a lot of people who much more prefer to work in the office. They don't want to work from home. They don't like it. OK, but for them, flexibility means that if the plumber comes in, they can be at home or if they want to beat the traffic and not, you know, get stuck in a real bypass for two hours, you know, they can come earlier or later. So flexibility means different things for different people. So then your job, if we are to use the word job. As a professional looking for work, is for you to identify your value points, your non negotiables, and be able to articulate that to have that honest conversation. And try not to fit everything under the general umbrella. So, another example during the interview process, to answer your question, you know, people say, you know, oh, I'm looking for a challenge. Most people would just move past that. Yeah, yeah, understandable. What does challenge mean to you? I mean, what? What are you looking to get out of the move? What do you want to change? And it's important that you're clear about those things because the less clear you are, the greater the unknown will be and the greater the chances are that you will walk into a place that is, I don't like to use the word good and bad, that does not align with what you're after. And the same goes for employers. Okay, these are the skill set that we need, and this goes back to you know the first part of the discussion. You know, lots of employees put you know a a bullet point of you know communication skills. I mean, we talk or we write. Okay, whether it's verbal communication or written communication or signal communication, in one way we communicate. So, what, what does that mean? So a lot of the times when we unpack that, it could be, for example, within executive level roles, communication skills, usually what they mean by it is to be able to be diplomatic during very intensive discussions that can be emotionally charged. Now, that is a very crucial skill that not a lot of people have. So if, when they read, they see that they understand, Yeah, no, I wouldn't be comfortable. you know, contradicting myself with 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 a room of 10 people now i'd rather skip that you know so it's important to articulate what is and what isn't as well
0: well Fran has given us quite a lot of in-depth insight in the recruitment practices as it relates to Neodiversity. In part two, we go even more in depth with some actual examples of Neodiversity recruitment situations. And wait until the end when Fran gives us some sound advice on how to prepare for recruitment and finding that ideal job. See you Friday. I also encourage you to continue to support this podcast so I can bring you more amazing content. You can do so by visiting my Patreon page, where you can connect with me more directly with server options. Till next time, take
1: a leap and transform.